Hello listeners and readers, Josie here. It has been a long time. I'm so excited because I'm recording again and I have a fresh new classic novel that I want to share with you guys. You can find Willa Cather's A Lost Lady for free in the public domain to follow along or of course you can just listen along uh, I hope that you enjoy and thank you for listening A Lost Lady by Willa Cather Come, my coach. Good night, ladies. Good night, sweet ladies. Good night, good night. Part 1, Chapter 1 Thirty or forty years ago, in one of those grey towns along the Burlington Railroad, which are so much greyer today than they were then, There was a house, well known, from Omaha to Denver, for its hospitality and for a certain charm of atmosphere. Well known, that is to say, to the railroad aristocracy of that time. Men who had to do with the railroad itself, or with one of the land companies, which were its byproducts. In those days, it was enough to say of a man that he was connected with the Burlington. There were the directors, the general managers, vice presidents, superintendents, whose names we all knew, and their younger brothers or nephews were auditors, freight agents, departmental assistants. Everyone connected with the road. Even the large cattle and grain shippers had annual passes. They and their families rode about over the line a great deal. There were then two distinct social strata in the prairie states, the homesteaders and handworkers who were there to make a living, and the bankers and gentlemen ranchers who came from the Atlantic seaboard to invest money and to develop our great west, as they used to tell us. When the Burlington men were traveling back and forth on business, not very urgent, they found it agreeable to drop off the express and spend a night in a pleasant house where their importance was delicately recognized. And no house was pleasanter than that of Captain Daniel Forrester at Sweetwater. Captain Forrester was himself a railroad man, a contractor, who had built hundreds of miles of road for the Burlington, over the sagebrush and cattle country, and on up into the Black Hills. The Forrester Place, as everyone called it, was not at all remarkable. The people who lived there made it seem much larger and finer than it was. The house stood on a low, round hill, nearly a mile east of town, a white house with a wing and sharp, sloping roofs to shed the snow. 
it was encircled by porches, too narrow for modern notions of comfort, supported by the fussy, fragile pillars of that time, when every honest stick of timber was tortured by the turning lathe into something hideous. Stripped of its vines and denuded of its shrubbery, the house would probably have been ugly enough. It stood close into the fine cottonwood grove that threw sweltering arms to left and right and grew all down the hillside behind it. Thus placed on the hill against its bristling grove, it was the first thing one saw on coming into Sweetwater by rail and the last thing one saw on departing. To approach Captain Forrester's property, you had first to get over a wide sandy creek which flowed along the eastern edge of the town. Crossing this by the footbridge or the ford, you entered the captain's private lane, bordered by Lombardy poplars, with wide meadows lying on either side. Just at the foot of the hill on which the house sat, one crossed a second creek by the stout wooden road bridge. This stream traced artless loops and curves through the broad meadows that were half pasture land, half marsh. Anyone but Captain Forrester would have drained the bottom land and made it into highly productive fields. But he had selected this place long ago because it looked beautiful to him, and he happened to like the way the creek wound through the pasture, with mint and joint grass and twinkling willows along its banks. He was well off in those times, and he had no children. He could afford to humor his fancies. When the captain drove friends from Omaha or Denver over from the station in his Democrat wagon, it gratified him to hear these gentlemen admire his fine stock, grazing in the meadows on either side of his lane. And when they reached the top of the hill, it gratified him to see men who were older than himself leap nimbly to the ground and run up the front steps as Miss Forrester came out on the porch to greet them. Even the hardest and coldest of his friends, a certain narrow-faced Lincoln banker, became animated when he took her hand, tried to meet the gay challenge in her eyes, and to reply cleverly to the droll word of greeting on her lips. She was always there, just outside the front door, to welcome their visitors, having been warned of their approach by the sound of hoofs and the rumble of wheels on the wooden bridge. If she happened to be in the kitchen, helping her bohemian cook, she came out in her apron waving a buttery iron spoon or shook cherry-stained fingers at the new arrival. She never stopped to pin up a lock. She was attractive in dishabille. <laughs> and she knew it. She had been known to rush to the door in her dressing gown, brush in hand, and her long black hair rippling over her shoulders, to welcome Cyrus Delzell, president of the Colorado and Utah, and the great man had never felt more flattered. In his eyes, and in the eyes of the admiring middle-aged men who visited there, Whatever Miss Forrester chose to do was ladylike because she did it. They could not imagine her in any dress or situation in which she would not be charming. 
Captain Forrester himself, a man of few words, told Judge Pomeroy that he had never seen her look more captivating than on the day when she was chased by the new bull in the pasture. She had forgotten about the bull and gone into the meadow to gather wildflowers. He heard her scream, and as he ran, puffing down the hill, she was scudding along the edge of the marshes like a hare, beside herself with laughter, and stubbornly clinging to the crimson parasol that had caused all the trouble, or had made all the trouble. Miss Forrester was 25 years younger than her husband, and she was his second wife. He married her in California and brought her to Sweetwater, a bride. They called the place home even then, when they lived there but a few months out of each year. But later, after the captain's terrible fall with his horse in the mountains, which broke him so that he could no longer build railroads, he and his wife retired to the house on the hill. He grew old there, and even she, alas, grew older.